I had this business partner, Yoshio Ono. <laughs> he was a son of first-generation Japanese immigrants. Yosh was thoroughly American. But he loved to take people to genuine Far Eastern restaurants. And some of them were pretty interesting. <laughs> One time he took a couple of us to this place. It's on the second floor. You had to go through the back door and up this stair in this nondescript, creaky old building. I don't know if it was a completely legal uh, eating establishment, but it was genuine Far Eastern food. <laughs> the menu, I don't know, it used, I think they're called haragana and katagana. Those are the two Japanese character types. And I don't know which it was because <laughs> I can't read Japanese. I don't know what it was. And the waitress, she comes up and asks for our orders. She right in Japanese, just boom, like that. So I suppose it was my uh, round eyes and my pale and very blank face. Uh, yeah, she made it. It kind of got obvious. So she, in very broken English, very broken English, she began to explain their specials and their menu. Right? And I, I really, mostly I just couldn't understand her. <laughs> but finally she said something that sounded like chicken feet. I figured, you know, she doesn't know English and she must have meant chicken legs. So I said, okay, I'll take, I'll take that. And she says, you want chicken feet? I said, yeah, okay, chicken feet, that, whatever, that sounds good. Yosh, he was really enjoying this. You have to understand, <laughs> my discomfiture was his pleasure. He was having too much fun. And he actually laughed outright when she finally brought out her orders. And mine was... Chicken feet. Seriously, they actually cut the feet off of chickens and they soak it in spices and then people chew on them. I kid you not. This is actually what they do. They chew on chicken feet. And Yosh was enjoying himself just completely, all at my expense, of course. But he finally composed himself and he says to our friend, we'd better get Rick some real food. <laughs> the real food. What is real food? Well, we run into this question in a surprising place, right in the Bible. Just after Jesus has that conversation with the woman at Jacob's well, she's leaving and just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So this is the start, the setup for this whole conversation Jesus has about real food with the disciples. And it's really all about their concept of food as opposed to what Jesus might have called real food. The woman is taking off to witness to the Samaritans and while that's going on, the disciples ask these two questions. The second question would clearly have been to Jesus if they were actually brave enough to ask it. Why are you talking to her? <laughs> so they were shocked that Jesus would talk to this woman. He often uses people that we'd never guessed would hear him. Never in a million years. Like some of the fishermen that were with him. Okay, how many guys get fishermen to follow them? Or the tax collector they picked up along the way. How about that? Was that a person you'd expect? He used Saul of Tarsus who, when Jesus first recruited Saul, he was busy persecuting Christians. So he says, good, let's get him to lead Christians. Would you have expected? I mean, it's just not expected. I, today, one of the major Christian universities in the United States is run by a man who was raised a Muslim. He was a practicing Muslim when he met Christ. 
and now he runs a Christian university. My personal favorite is Steve Ham. You don't know Steve? Okay. Back in 1974, when I was attending college, a local church was looking for a part-time youth pastor. Looking for a college kid like me, you know. So I went, I talked to them. And I got my very first exposure to a church that was operated by people who had no interest in God at all. None. They weren't interested in God. In fact, they wanted to take the Bible out of the church. They didn't want Bibles there anymore. Okay? In the interview, it became obvious that most of them weren't interested in teaching the kids about Christ and that I was by no means a fit for them. As I was leaving the second floor room, it, you had to cross this walkway. It was dark, it was nighttime, and of course it was the middle of the week, so no lights were on, and I was basically invisible trying to cross this walkway. And down below me as I crossed, I hear these two people talking. One was Steve Ham. <laughs> And the other was the pastor of this church. Now, I was expecting a guy like Steve Hamm to be using language that could only kindly be described as foul. Steve was in classes with me at TU, so I, I knew what he was like. I was shocked, though, to hear the pastor joining in and even trading dirty jokes with Steve. Well, they never saw me, and I left quietly and, frankly, in sorrow. And I was not terribly surprised to hear that they had actually hired Steve. <laughs> I never saw him again in my life. Never seen Steve since. Years later, though, I was talking with my brother Doug. He still lives down there, still lived down there then, and he was heavily involved in the church music season, in the church music scene, and he mentioned Steve Ham. Steve's in church music? He said, well, yeah. So I said, um, and I told him my story. And he says, what? You've never heard the end. Turns out, they hire Steve. He goes to a retreat for the youth pastors, becomes a Christian. God pursues him vigorously, changes him dramatically. He comes back and he leads a revival in the youth of that church to such a degree that all the parents start to become Christians too. They get rid of that wolf in sheep's clothing that called himself a pastor and they get a real pastor and that church completely changes and it's the shining light. It's changing that whole area for God. Now, i got to be honest with you. Back then... I thought, Jesus, what are you doing talking to Steve Ham? <laughs> that was what I thought. <sighs> Can the application for us be more... Just don't be shocked when you see with whom God works. We can't underestimate what God can do with one human being, no matter how unlikely. Well, back to those disciples. Okay. They were shocked that Jesus talked to this woman. But in their defense, the disciples knew at least that they should not question Jesus' actions. Were they beginning to understand Jesus' mission? be nice to think so. At least they were beginning to understand who he was and who they were not. They weren't trying to be the chef. <laughs> but were they ready to serve the meal? Are we ready to just serve Jesus? That other question that they wanted to but didn't ask, what do you seek? Obviously, that would have been asked to the woman. 
don't you know how to behave around Jesus? You can't just be coming up here and talking to Him like that. What is wrong with you? (laughs) You don't get close to Jesus like that. Don't you know how to act in church? Oh wait, that'd be us. (laughs) And let's see, in that great description of love that's often called a portrait of Jesus, what comes first? Love is patient. And love, while exhibiting patience, also does not insist on its own way. Before we get too upset with the way people act in church, we should wait to see if Jesus is interacting with that person. Remember, the church, as the Bible describes it, is people, persons, individuals, all together, the church. Are we able to let people make mistakes in the building where the church meets? If we're more concerned for their souls than our own way, we can. But, let's face it, we're not Jesus. We don't know people's hearts. We very well might need to ask some questions. In fact, the Bible orders us to ask questions of people. I mean, there are shysters out there, wolves in sheep's clothing. And we need to identify them and not listen to them ourselves and and we must protect others against them. Back to our story. The woman goes off to town. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Refocus, men. Refocus. You're looking at things the wrong way. Your priorities are messed up. He's trying to get them to think spiritually, not physically. How could they not notice the woman's big water jar still sitting there? She was thinking of living water now, not the material anymore. Apparently that clue escaped them. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? The disciples were still thinking about this physical world. They were not considering the spiritual dimension. Okay, again, let's give them a little bit of a break. This is Jesus, okay? They could have wondered if he was fed in some supernatural way, you know, like the prophet Elijah, or like Moses with the manna from heaven. But even then, that would be the supernatural working in a material way, like Jesus later did with bread and fishes, but they haven't seen that yet. But nothing like that is it. Nothing like that is it. Jesus came to do something entirely new. And now he wants them to think of using the physical to do spiritual work. Actually, it was the same with Moses and Elijah, but most everybody missed it then too. (laughs) People outside, those who still need to get their minds on the spiritual... They just don't understand why we do what we do. You know, wait a minute, you go to classes and services at church? <laughs> you give money to help people hear about Jesus? You go mow somebody else's lawn just because they sprained their ankle? You give food, you visit people at old folks' home, you're carefully courteous to people. You love your enemies and actually help them when they're in need, all just to express the love of God. Why do you do that? Amazingly, not seeing the spiritual was still a problem the disciples had. 
We brought you food, Jesus. Isn't that what you wanted? Well, sure he did. I mean, he needed it. He got to eat. But more than that, he wants them to see the spiritual, to understand real food. Do we know enough to understand that we are touching the spiritual when we help people materially? That every action we take here echoes in the eternal. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Understand, Jesus' work included all that he did on earth. All his actions pointed to the spiritual. All his teaching pointed to the spiritual. All his miracles pointed to the spiritual. And his primary work, that of redemption, was a spiritual work. The ultimate physical act resulted in absolute spiritual gain. A spiritual work that will culminate in a whole new physical. But then that's another talk. We won't do that right now. (laughs) Right now, we should ask ourselves this question. Well, first, how long can we survive without food? Okay, you ready for the real question? How long can we survive without doing God's will? Without real food? The most famous case of a man who lost everything but kept his spiritual focus was Job. All his wealth, everything he owned was lost. All his kids were dead. His health was gone. And yet, he said of God, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why would Job so trust God when he has had everything stripped away? How could Job still trust. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Job got it. It's all about the spiritual. He could look past some pretty horrific physical because Job knew how to focus on God and his word. The real food. Everything physical, everything in this universe will cease to exist. Sooner or later, everything ceases to exist. Why would we pour our effort out for that which perishes so quickly? At another time, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek the spiritual, the kingdom of God. You seek the spiritual. God will take care of the material. Back at the well, Jesus uses another physical truth to show a spiritual reality. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Okay, (laughs) what does this saying mean? Never put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Okay, that's great, but no, that's not what he's saying at all, really. (laughs) It's not about the physical. And he's not saying things do take time, but now they're ready. No, that's not it. There's a physical fact that they knew that, well, most of us have never experienced. Maybe you have. 
Wheat is golden color, amber waves of grain, right? But when in that hot mid-eastern sun, the chaff begins to separate on the stalk from the kernel, it's time to harvest. And anyone with eyes could see this because the shell that is the chaff reflects the white hot sun. The entire field looks white and it's ready to harvest. You'd have to be blind to miss it. Jesus is saying, wake up! Open your spiritual eyes and look! It's time to harvest now! They didn't see the spiritual need. It appears they didn't even see the joy in the woman's face that came because she did see the spiritual. They were just in her hometown. The very place she is running to tell people about Jesus. How many people there did they tell about Jesus? They were too busy just getting physical food to serve the real food. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Who is reaping? The Samaritans that they ignored and the woman talked to may have been at that very moment coming out to see Jesus. The Apostle Paul urged one church to keep looking to the spiritual. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Ravi Zacharias loves to relate the story of a young Billy Graham Billy was called on to fill in for a famous evangelist. They didn't really want Billy, but he was better than nothing. <laughs> a few days later, somebody asked him, well, how'd that evening go? He said, well, not much happened, actually. Just one young man came down for salvation. That's it. That's all. Out of the whole crowd, one young man. That was it. That man was Warren Wearsby. True story. Warren Wearsby the author of more than 100 books on Christian living. Warren Wearsby, the voice of the Back to the Bible radio show. Millions of people have been affected by that man. Just one young man. That's all. It was a great lesson for Billy Graham. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Note that the one reaping is receiving wages for herself and for the one who sowed. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. My dad, he loved big game hunting up in the mountains of Idaho. He was up at 4 a.m. out the door of our little trailer and up the mountain. I thought he was nice to let us sleep in and come up after him. Oh, you know, just come up, blast up in the middle of the valley in the morning when you come up, whenever you guys get up. Of course, what was really happening was he was waiting at the top for the deer or the elk that we'd scare up to him as we crashed through the trees and brush, you know, a bunch of teenagers you can imagine. <laughs> now, we could have been perturbed that we were used like that. We did all the hard work climbing up through that stuff and we didn't even get to shoot anything. Or... We could just enjoy the venison we brought home. Some have said the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. 
But we must not look at things the way the world does. We have to trust God. Remember, all the riches of this world go away. All of them. If you have them, great. Use the physical for the spiritual good. If you don't have riches, great. Use the physical for the spiritual good. (laughs) Your life, your very character, your good character, what you do with whatever you do have, may result in some one individual understanding when someone else preaches or teaches or just talks to them. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. He sent them. Do you know what the very next verse says? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Ouch. Not their testimony. The woman, they were surprised to see Jesus even talk to. The one they didn't think was acting right around Jesus. Her testimony made the difference in the Samaritan's life when the disciples should have. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Both the sower and the reaper gain wages when the harvest comes in. For Jesus' disciples, the other laborers included Moses and the prophets. All those believing Jewish teachers and priests, there were a ton of them. John the Baptist. And of course, Jesus. And then, (laughs) and soon, very soon, even that Samaritan woman. So what about for us? There may be times when we plant seeds of faith in people. Community picnic. We organized with the other churches. You know, raised a lot of money for young kids. and People saw that. Someone else might talk to a person who came to that picnic and lead them to Christ. They might be the ones to reap the harvest. You know, Sunday mornings earlier we talked about it. We're discussing the story of hope. It's all about a way to talk to people about the spiritual when they can't see the spiritual. You know, maybe you'll be the one to talk with a person directly about Jesus. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We must trust God. Do what is right and trust him to handle the reward. Certainly, we should never wonder if our work is as good as someone else's. Oh, I'll never be a Billy Graham. Why even try? Or worse yet, why do they think they're so important? Does she think she's better than me? Does he think? You know, it's God who's important, not us. Jesus Christ matters more than any of us. So certainly we should never boast. And I have to say, this is one of life's hardest lessons, for me anyway. It's only when we grasp that we are worth nothing that we begin to understand that God makes us worth everything. We get so caught up in trying to make ourselves important. Like maybe, I wonder if the disciples did when, when, when a Samaritan woman was putting them to shame. <laughs> the labor, the work is important. One child touched by us, one child could be telling others about Jesus for 60, 70 years. How many thousands will hear that message? The message of grace because we shared God's love. Every part of the work of ministry, the doing and the teaching, is both needed and valuable. 
we will not know what we've done until we reach heaven. Well, why was this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples woven into the story with the woman at the well? The disciples were sent into the same town that the woman went to. They came back with nothing but food. She came back with a crowd of people from the city. (laughs) She got it. They didn't. That's why that story is woven together there. They didn't apparently even see her joy enough to get the clue when she went off running to tell everybody else about Jesus. How could they be with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and yet tell no one about Him? They'd heard John the Baptist call Jesus the Son of God. They'd seen Him change water into wine. They'd seen Him show His authority over all mere human authorities in the clearing of the temple. They'd even seen him awe the greatest of the Jewish teachers of their day. She didn't see any of that. So none of it. She had none of the benefits they had. But she did have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what about us? Well, we know he fed 5,000. We know he walked on water. We know that he healed a blind man. We know He raised people from the dead. We know He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. He's with the Father at this very moment. And one day we will come back for us. And we're going to be like the disciples and tell no one. Well, we're here. We're trying. We have to ask, when we can't, when we find we can't tell people about Jesus, why? Well, The sad thing is maybe it's because we don't long for the real spiritual food to do His will. We don't see the spiritual in every single physical act that we do. We should. 